The Sport Industry Access Podcast, Episode 60. What core skills do you need to be a sports coach? Welcome to another episode of the Sport Industry Access Podcast. I'm your host, Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who will encourage and inspire you to be the best you can be with regards to your self-development, especially if you have an interest in pursuing a career in sports coaching. I hope today's episode can be useful to you with regards to your interests and needs. Now, getting back to today's show, this week's special guest is Dr. Frank Dick, OBE. Frank has a very impressive career CV in the sports industry. Currently, he is a coach and motivational speaker specialising about high performance in sport. Frank also is currently working as the strategic planning consultant with Eddie Jones and the England Rugby Leadership Team. Frank is also the president of the European Athletics Coaching Association and the British Athletics Federation Director of Coaching. Most of all, for his services and contribution to sport and coaching, in 1989 Frank was awarded an OBE from Her Majesty the Queen. Without a doubt, it's such a privilege to have Frank as a special guest on the show. That's when today's episode, Frank will share his sports career journey and explain to you the core skills you need to pursue a career in sports coaching. Frank, it's a privilege to have you on the show. Please, can you share your sports career journey to listeners? When did it all start? Well, I suppose it really goes, goes back to primary school and a, a fair old catastrophe. I tried to, I was desperate to, to compete for something at school. Um, and um, I got into the, the school long, the, the primary school long jump team. Um, I didn't have a pair of spikes. Bor- borrowed a pair from a guy, a little chap called Jimmy McPherson, who went on to be a professional athlete there. And um, in the middle of this long jump, I don't know what I thought I was doing, but I managed to gash the whole of my the side of my inside of my left foot with the spike on the right foot, which made my mother think I was never ever going to do athletics again. And it didn't re- re-emerge until halfway through my secondary school, um, when I was third and a half mile. Um, Evan Cameron and Martin Emsley were the two boys ahead of me, and that meant I was just one place short of getting into the school team. So I persuaded Martin to concentrate on the hurdles instead of the half mile, so he didn't run, want to run the half mile. So I got into the, the team, and that was the start of my athletics career. After that, it just went from one thing to another. Just touching back from your childhood, how has that impacted your career looking back with regards to your coaching career? Well, I just, I just think, you see, eventually where it all started as a coach was when I got into the school team, uh, I then was desperate to learn more, just, des- just, just desperate, desperate to learn more. 
And I'd bought a book called Running um, by a guy called Franz Stamfel, who'd coached Roger Bannister to the first four-minute mile. It's the first athletics book I ever read. And I, I, I loved the sense of system and somebody could organize that and make things happen. And so um, when I, I, I begged my parents and um, my school teacher, uh, Curly Bill, to go to the Scottish Schoolboys Athletics course at Easter. And I got into that. And when I when I arrived there, it was at Largs Inverclyde, um, which is in Ayrshire in Scotland. This giant of a figure came down the stair just as I was coming through the door. His name was Tony Chapman. And he, I remember him now, bright, a cream track suit he had on. I said, quite a large guy. And he was the national coach for Scotland. And I remember looking at him thinking, one day, I'm going to be what, like you. That's, that's, and that, and the, the odd thing is, while my life went in all sorts of different directions thereafter, it was a very odd coincidence that when I'd come up to say goodbye to my mum and dad, because I was not going to stay in the UK, I'd been offered a fellowship um, to study educational philosophy, of all things, at uh, the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, I was walking up Lothian Road in Edinburgh, and who should be walking towards me but Tony Chapman and his, and his lady, and uh, he said, did you, did you know that John Anderson has um, resigned as Scottish national coach? I said, no, I didn't know that. He said, why don't you apply for the job? I said, no, Tony, listen, I've, I've made my mind up now. Uh, I've put all these things behind me. I've, um, I, I really want to, to see what this world of education philosophy is like. Uh, Robert Osborne's offered me this fellowship. I'm, I'm heading for it. He said, why don't you apply for fun? And I did. And that was the start of being a national coach. Just really quickly, before we talk about more about your career, would you mind sharing your insight of how sports developed from when you started to where sport is now? Well, a few things have, have really happened. First of all, performance science has grown faster than coaching and no criticism of performance science for that because when I started off as a coach uh, as a national coach it was people's hobbies if you were going to be a sports physiologist you were a, that was a, a hobby if you're going to be the doctor to the British team that was an extra nobody's qualified for any of these things well you know what the world's like now there's there's a there's a tsunami of, uh, of of courses and things out there for um, sport, the various aspects of sports science or performance related science. I would I would refer to it as, and out of that, uh, professions have grown. Although oddly enough, and I'm working on this with the IWF at the moment, coaching itself is not recognised as a profession, um, and consequently we have no reg, no sort of regulating body for coaching but that's that's another matter uh, so that was the that was the first big thing that was happening there um, but as, as it grew I'm not sure if coaches knew what to do with it they knew they needed it but they didn't know what to do with it and and I, th I think, think the biggest message I think that's come out of all of that is we should understand that the performance science or or, perform, or, or or performance support services uh, are there to inform the coach's decision making. They are not to replace it. Um, if we think 
that coaching becomes slave to data, then we're completely dismissing the extraordinary complexity of the human being. Frank, what you're talking about really relates to today's main topic. What core skills do people need to be a sports coach? I find that a really difficult uh, question to, to answer uh, in, in, in terms of condensing it, because I think you have to be an awful lot of things. I mean, I think it starts off, above all else, is uh, you better have the skills to be a leader. You'd better be a leader. And when I speak to the world of the, co- the corporate sector, I have to I say to the leaders in there, you'd better be coaches, because the, the whole the, the central function of a leader is to make sure that their people are prepared and supported in doing their jobs. And so there's kind of a a, a, a balance, isn't there, between the two things? You must have the leadership qualities in order to become a coach. So that's your starting point. Uh, next is you'd better be pretty hot at setting visions and values. Um, Vision in the sense of whether it's a purpose, why we're doing things today, whether it's the big picture, what what are we trying to achieve in life and so on. And make sure, uh, you've got to have the capacity to make sure that whoever you're influencing is in agreement with what these things are, that they are clear and that we all buy into that. We've got to engage engage with that because that's related to what I think are the two fundamental skills that a leader should have. A leader must be able to teach and a leader must be able to sell. You can teach the head, but you have to sell to the heart. The next part about that is, is of course, values. I said vision and values. You've got to be able to set down your, your, your sense of discipline and your highway code, your Rudder, your rudder and compass to take you on where you're going. And the people that you are coaching and influencing, they must buy into that too. And as a coach, very early on in terms of personal discipline, in terms of that, I think you you, you have to buy into the idea of um, what you accept is all you can expect. If you accept 85% on the training track, don't expect 100% in the arena. You'd better, tra- you'd better set your standards high and live by those standards. Okay, so that's, that's, that, that's the second area. The, th- the third one, you'd better be a communicator. I mean, if you can't communicate, don't go into that game at all. And as a, a, a little um, a coaching point to anybody who wants to become a coach or, or wants to pursue a career of a coach, learn how to tell stories. Learn, learn how to create mental pictures for people when it comes to the technical side of what we do very often you're trying to use words to describe the kinesthesis of movement Um, and it's what in a word uh, makes sense years ago I worked with a young lad called Cameron Sharp very good boy Um, European silver medals in 200 meters gold medals in the Commonwealth Games and Cameron when you started off in these 200 metres, <clears throat> I didn't get the feeling that he was really kicking off the bend and so he could come off with a bit of momentum and cruise down the home straight. And so I used to use the word, Cameron, you've got to drive off the bend, drive off the bend. 
But a guy called Don, and, and it still didn't work. Trust me, it didn't work. A guy called Don 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 Quarry, you may know, Olympic gold medalist uh, in, in, in 200 meters, he um, was was with me one day and he said, no, it's the wrong word. Think of lifting off the bend. And the moment he used the word lift, Cameron lifted lightly off the bend and phew, it changed his whole race. Now, why did I get the word wrong? The moment you, t- you use, a, use a word, you've got to remember that words mean things to people, movement things. And when you say something like drive, they think of pushing into the ground. That is long contact. But if you think about sprinting, the only time you have long contact with the ground is at the start. As you fly through the race, it's a very light and a very short contact. And so if I was asking him to drive, I was asking him to do exactly the wrong thing at that particular point of technique. And so a coach has got to understand that words mean things and get the right words. And as I say, we'd better communicate. Next, you'd better be pretty hot at planning and strategy. And as uh, you may have heard me saying before, uh, at, um, coaches don't plan forwards, they plan backwards. You've got to know where you're going, otherwise you can't plan your journey. Um, as John F. Kennedy said, if you can't manage it, you can't, if, sorry, if you can't imagine it, you can't do it. And um, I think that's critical. You've got to have a very clear picture of where you're going to and then ask yourself, well, if that's where I have to be, let's say for the Rugby World Cup on the 2nd of November, 8 o'clock in the evening in Tokyo Central Stadium, if that's where you have to, if that's where you have to be, then where do you have to be six weeks before that, in order for that last step to be, step to be possible? Then what about six weeks before that? Then six weeks before that, till you come back all the way to where you started, and you're constantly then realigned with where it is you're trying to get to, and what the next step is in order to achieve that. I hope, I hope that makes sense to everybody. This is fantastic, Frank, and it's something. I've really enjoyed listening to right now. With regards to what you've just spoken about, looking back from your career, did you have to sort of try and error a lot of the time to find that sort of perfection with regards to your coaching strategy? Oh, absolutely. And, and, and when I finish my whole, all of these little points that I, that I was going to say, that just, just that to you is that um, you, you've got to get out there and do it you, and, and, and be will, willing to take the risks and the mistakes that come with it because if there are no mistakes, there are no risks. If there's no risks, there's no progress. But if I can very quickly run through the other areas here, the next one, the fifth one, is what I would it, – it's in the United States military, they call it the OODA loop, O-O-D-A. Um, observe, orientate, decide, and act. And out of that, let me pick out two critical things for us. In, if you must be able to be strong in your observ- observation skills. You must look for things, but you must see things. You must listen for things, but you must hear things. And once you've got that in, then you, you orientate. The orientate is putting into context. What does this mean? What is it that I'm hearing and seeing? What does it mean? And then you make a decision. And you're, and, and then, of course, you take your actions. But the decision part is, if you like, within UDA, the observation and the decision is critical. You have to be strong in your decision-making skills. Next, in terms of skills, is probably attitudinal ones. You've got to have an agility. You've got to have a resilience. You've got to have 
the ability to, to adapt because the world outside there is changing before you at every moment. Um, as this, again, as they say in the military, no strategy survives first contact with the enemy. You can have the best plans in the world, but out there, you've got to have that mental agility that will identify an issue and resolve it straight away. So that OODA loops going faster and faster as you go through life out there. But the other two critical qualities to have in there in terms of mental skills is patience and persistence. Moving on, you'd better be hot at the structures, systems, and, and so on that go on, that they're a part of coaching. In other words, be organized. Next, you've got to be able to create an essential tension with the athlete. The, way, the picture I have of that is imagine yourself as the circus ringmaster looking up at the, the top of the, the, the big top and the athlete that you are coaching is walking is going to have to walk across the high wire. There's an essential tension in that wire for them to make progress. And the tension is specific to that particular athlete. And the tension is created between challenge at one end of the wire and support at the other. If there's too much support, the wire slack, they go nowhere. If there's too much uh, challenge the wire snaps and they go nowhere. Getting that balance is absolutely right. And then, of course, for graduates coming out of university and so on who get into the world of coaching, you're not much older than the guys that you're coaching. And sometimes you might be even younger. And the, the point is that in these years, it's tempting to get too close. And so let, let me give you an example. I, I, I think of a spark plug in a car and that. Uh, I remember getting it absolutely wrong when I was a, a young teacher going out, having coffee with the sixth formers and so on, and because I was working in a, a public school workshop college in the Midlands, um, and the, the boy said, would you like to come up and have coffee on a Sunday evening, sir, and listen to some music? And I thought, oh, I'm, I'm a pretty cool guy, I'd like to do that. And, and so there I was getting sucked into that situation, and the headmaster pulled me to one side and he said, uh, Mr. Dick, be careful. Do not get too close. And then I thought about the spark plug. In the spark plug, there's a gap. And that gap makes things happen. It ignites fuel and so on. But it's so small, you might think to yourself, well, why have it? So you try to close it up. If you close it up, there's no spark. And then you think to yourself, well, I've got it, Frank. Really open it out. Yeah, if it's too wide, there's no spark either. You, I can't tell anyone what that spark gap is, but you'd better learn what it is. Because without it, Nothing is going to happen. Then my final points in all this, you'd better be good at dealing with pressure. You better have the skills to handle pressure because it will come from everywhere. The pressure of the moment, the pressure of the press, the pressure of this, that and the other. You better be cool at handling that. And finally, above all else, you better be curious. You better never stop asking questions because the journey to being a great coach is a never-ending one frank not to interrupt but this is just brilliant and i just want to say a massive thank you i've really enjoyed listening to all those different principles and i really do hope the listeners take that on board just relating back to your current career now what have you been up to well still working with the corporate sector trying to take our world of sport because sport is a fantastic metaphor you know it's a fantastic metaphor for life taking that that world and our values and how we change and 
people to help them perform better. Because a, a point I try to make to everybody, even even in sport, is always remember results are things over which you do not have total control, but performance you do. And that's the focus of everything, whether it's in business, whether it's in family life, or, or, or whether it's in sport. So that still continues. Couple of, for a couple of years, I worked with South Africa to get their Olympic people ready and Paralympians ready for Rio, and that worked pretty well. Um, and f uh, most recently, working with Eddie Jones, a really great, great friend of mine in England rugby, um, he asked me uh, to come in with him because I was doing something remotely when he was in um, Japan. He'd asked me to bring in some, a sense of strategic design and so on. And uh, for the for England rugby at the moment, through to the World Cup, um, I'm, I think the technical expression is uh, strategic consultant. Out of interest, just in hindsight, looking back after the World Cup, are you overwhelmed of what they've achieved? Eddie is a brilliant, brilliant coach. I mean, and that that really um, that, that's the sense of wonder I have in the whole thing. Um, I mean, if you if you look back to last year. Um, bearing in mind, the, the, as you pointed out, the disaster of the World Cup, to whitewash Australia was pretty impressive. But I have to say, uh, three, three out of three in Australia. But to come to th this year, people have kind of skirt because we've got the lines and so on, people have kind of skimmed across the top of what was achieved in uh, Argentina. You know, there, are, there were roughly 30 players from our main squad that we did not have access to. So Eddie was taking young boys, many of whom had never played international rugby before, and he was uh, to, to mix them with some boys who you'll understand might have been a little bit disappointed because they weren't going to the Lions. And he fused all of that into an incredible, incredible couple of games. They, they, they beat Argentina two out, of, two out of two. And you might think, well, so what? Argentina are pretty pretty regularly in the quarterfinals of the the Rugby World Cup. They really are a world-class team. Um, and they had a full team across there. And so, the, the, again, coming back to Eddie, he, he, he leads a fantastic team of coaches, whether they're strength and conditioning, whether they're uh, rugby coaches, and, of course, his medical and his logistics staff and so on. He pulls them all together. And I think, um, yeah, I'm... I'm very impressed at what he does. Just relating to your career now, what have you enjoyed the most, Frank, looking back? In a word, winning. That's it. I enjoy winning. And I hate, I hate beyond words, losing. And um, by, by winning, let me just explain. Winning to me is achieving the intended outcome. You know, the actual outcome is the same as the intended or better than the intended one. Uh, because it can vary. You can uh, getting a, a young athlete um, who other co coaches have rejected to get a Scottish record um, in long jump. Myra Nimmo, Professor Myra Nimmo, I think she's now in, uh, in Birmingham University. Oh. Um, she was the head of sports science, I think, at Loughborough during the 2012 campaign. Um, when she was a young athlete, um, didn't look like she had very much um, uh, hopes of gr greatness at all, but she ended up in the Olympic Games. And so you can get a sense of um, serious fulfillment of winning at that level, 
but equally watching Daly getting his gold medal in the Olympic Games or Great Britain winning the European uh, Cup in track and field athletics, all of the all of these things. Um, yeah, I, I like winning. I just I just like getting. It's a, it's a wonderful feeling to think I planned to do this and it actually happened. It's good. It's cool. Absolutely, Frank. I can hear almost that passion coming out as well. And I feel like we're at a great stage of the interview where I'd like to finish with an inspirational question. And I know you've mentioned those coaching principles, but what advice would you give to a university sports graduate who wants to pursue a career in coaching? Well, can, can I just go back to uh, the, the set of skills that you asked me to, to set out for you? First of all, be patient. I mean, patience is key in all of this because you can get to a point where you're one touch away from uh, what you want to achieve in life, but it doesn't seem to be coming. You sit down, you know you're doing the right things. Well, stay with it. So the second part of that is be persistent. Be patient. Be persistent. I think... Yeah, I, th- I think that's just about it, really. I, I, and to seek out experience. There are some things in life you can be taught. And these are the things you'll pick out of university. But I, I don't want to be cruel about universities and colleges, but that's not real life, guys, out there. That's not real life. Real life is learned through experience. And you must g- seek out the experience, seek out the hard stuff. This is Marcus Aurelius' stoicism from way back in, in – I wasn't alive at his time, by the way uh, – way back in time. Um, there's, there's a very good book at the moment called um, The Obstacle is the Way by – I think it's Ray Holiday. Um, and the, the point that he's making is that the hard way is the only way, and I agree with that completely. Um, you've got to be willing to take the hard stuff, and you only get it – through experience. So patience, persistence, curiosity, and seek out the hard stuff in experience. But the, always remember, the problem with experiences, as Vernon Law, Vernon Law said, was um, experience is the hardest of all teachers because she gives you the test first and the lesson second. Because that's the case, make sure you always have access to a mentor someone that you can turn to just to ask the question, even if it's for reassurance, but never, never ask them to solve the problem for you. Frank, that is a really great piece of advice. And a lot of things you're saying is almost reflecting of how I'm going through this podcast journey. How can people interact with you? Well, you can get me on LinkedIn, um, on uh, yeah, face, Facebook, um, Twitter, of course, um, I mean, if you, if you like one-liners and so on, I don't know if uh, your, your, your listeners are keen on these things. Every night I put out a new um, uh, sort of one-liner for coaches. Uh, and I've done it for about four years now, so there's an awful lot if you go back through the, the lists. They may not all be relevant to you, but some of them might actually just catch your imagination and help you do what you want to do best. Frank, that is great. To all the listeners out there, all those links will be on my website relating to this blog post. Frank, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you very much. My pleasure to you, Ed. You take care. Wow. What an unbelievable career journey from Frank. And I really do hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. 
For me, there are so many learning lessons I've taken from this podcast interview. But from a coaching perspective, I hope you've taken on board what Frank was saying with regards to the core skills in being a sports coach. This interview ticks off all the boxes. You will not get better career advice in coaching. Listening to that and really taking on board that step-by-step process in being a sports coach, all the information is there. And for me, that's what I really want to highlight during this interview, that coaching is about try and error. It is about being a leader. But most of all, it's about really developing yourself and having the ability to communicate with others. But also a key point is the use of language, as Frank was saying, and having the ability to use stories to advantage. So you're creating that mental picture. So if you're thinking about pursuing a career in sports coaching, it doesn't matter what sport, it doesn't matter what level, I really do hope you take on board what Frank was saying and apply it to your career adventure. So the best advice I can give during this interview, listen to this interview again, take notes and apply them to your coaching career journey. And good luck. Now, as always, at the end of each interview, I like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker so you can take action and discover your career journey in the sports industry. Frank said, the hard way is the only way. You've got to be willing to take the hard stuff and you only get that through experience. So be patient and be persistent.